Welcome to the Techno Babble Podcast. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone. Hey, Bub, what's up, man? Uh, not a whole lot. You know, just hanging out, you know, doing Bub stuff. You know, you know, just typical wait, wait, Bub what, stuff. Wait, what? Bub stuff? Yeah, Bub stuff. You ever done Bub stuff? Wait a minute. Time out. Hold on. You're not Jeremy. You're not Bub. Jeremy, what the fuck? Jeremy. Okay, dude, guys. I'm. I bought Jeremy. Just fucking be cool. Just be cool. Look, they have to know you're not Bub. Okay, they didn't come. Look, to if they s- know I'm here, I'm fucked. Okay. <laughs> Who knows you're here? Just, just fucking be cool. Wait, who are you hiding from? Just fucking be cool. Why man. are you hiding on a podcast? <laughs> just look, man. Who let op- you into this call? Are, my options are limited, and I I know people. What but I don't know enough people is the problem. What people? Look, just just people. Dude, look, uh, just assure me that like this this is secure. Like I'm I'm good what here. Right? What do you mean this is secure? Like, like, You're on a fucking is, podcast, Jeremy. I mean, the, the people listen to these, right? Yeah. Well, no, but not this one. <laughs> but but, but potentially, mean, yeah. Okay, so. You can just like edit me out later. Right? Yeah, okay, you, okay, fine, dude. Look, I'll edit you out later. Just what the what people are? What the fuck are you talking about? Look, just and why are you answering Bub's Skype call? Let me ask you that. Why are you answering Bub's Skype call? Well, you see, now, I just had. And where is Bub's? Why? Why isn't he answering? Where, and how Bubs do you is... know where he lives? Well, you see, I know. Jeremy, like I said, I know. I'm, Jeremy, 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 what the fuck is going on? Well, you see, I I did, happen did, to is a Bub's okay. Where's Bubs? Bubs is... Bubs, Bubs, Bubs is kind of... What do you mean Bubs is kind of... Bubs is kind of what? Bubs, he's... Define did, okay. Okay. What do you mean define okay? Did you kill Bubs? Did you kill Bubs? Is he dead? I, look, look. Just keep keep your fucking head out of shit you can't handle, okay, Kirk? Just... <laughs> let's, just let's just fucking chill. Let's, okay. let's chill. Let's be cool. All right, we're let's cool. Let's fucking be cool. Well, okay. But, you know, shit well, just got real. Shit, no, shit did not get real. Everything is cool. Everything, everything is cool. cool. Everything, everything is cool. Everything's cool. Everything is cool. We're cool. Okay. <laughs> so right. while I'm here, uh, how you been? Yeah. How you been? Um, God, the tension is powerful. <laughs> I've been great. So since uh, well, this see here's the dilemma, Bub, Jeremy, Bub. We, we, we've established Bubs. Bubs. Okay. Here's the dilemma, Jeremy. Uh, you're we're supposed to be recording podcasts, right? Because mm-hmm. we do this thing, you know, the Techno Babble podcast, yeah. and Bubs and I usually. Rec- but now, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, he's you know you. Uh, Bubs so is we, taking a nap. We, <laughs> well, well, we got to air something, right? I, <laughs> we got to air we're something. We're not airing this shit. No, this is all going to get cut out. We've already established that Good. it's all going to get cut out. No, you know what? I, know I hope what you can find somebody listen, to fill for. I was, though. you know what? I was just talking the other day. Um, I was talking to the. Have you ever heard of the game uh, uh, RimWorld? Uh, yeah, I remember you showed me the trailer to it uh, like two days ago, three days ago. Yeah, yeah, I showed you the the trailer to. What'd you think of it? Uh, I thought it was. It looked like something that it was. It was giving me like really FTL, like faster than light vibes at first. It was really good, uh, but then they ex- it expanded into more like prison architect kind of stuff, and you know, it's like I, as as I watched the trailer, I just got more and more interested. And I gotta say, it's definitely something I would look into picking up. Yeah, um, I, like I said, I think maybe you know, maybe I can get you a copy of it or something like that. Oh, that'd be fucking tight. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's a good game. It's a great game. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I talked to the guy who made it. I, like I was telling you, 
and uh, you know what? Just you want to listen to the conversation I had with him? Let's just let's just play that. Let's listen to that. I mean, I'm not doing anything else for a while, so why the fuck not? Yeah. All right. Um, but if you got to go, just you know, I'd, I'll understand. I we'll, we'll get to that when we come to it. <laughs> okay. As now, let's just be fucking cool. Yeah. All right. Just we'll just listen. Roll the audio. Okay. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Techno Babble Podcast, episode twenty thirty. It's episode something because this is this is actually a bank show we're recording today because uh, Bub couldn't record uh, with me this week, or or I couldn't record, or something happened, and now this show is uh, is is fuck. See what I'm saying about things are going to be edited in post, man? Because yeah, you say weird yeah, shit and I it think happens. I forget it. Yeah, but it had happens anyway. Uh, we're glad you guys could join us today, and uh, I'm I'm actually talking to. Uh, the creator or one of the co-founders of Ludian Studios, uh, of a little game some of you might know as RimWorld. Uh, Tynan, what's going on? Well, I am Tynan Sylvester. Uh, I'm a game developer. I used to work for a big studio called Irrational Games on this little game called Bioshock Infinite. I was there for a few years. And then after a while of that, I quit, and uh, I wrote a game design book called Designing Games, and then shifted into indie development, and started the studio called Ludion Studios. And uh, the first game is RimWorld, which uh, is sort of, you know, Dwarf Fortress in space, kind of The Sims with Firefly and um, Firefly flavor, you know, space western. <laughs> yeah, so for people who haven't heard of Remote, and, and uh, honestly, I'm actually surprised. It's been what you're going on like what, 3 or 4 years now with this with yeah, this it game? Was, it was late 2013 when the Kickstarter came out and uh so it's been a while actually. It's been a while. Um yeah, it has and I I picked it up kind of back then. I'm not exactly sure when I picked it up, but it was it wasn't too long after the game uh had been released. Um and uh and I loved it, man. I and uh I uh, I bought it and I've been playing it off and on. It's one of those games like you know, you play it a little bit uh, and then you come and but you always want to come back to it, especially after updates. In this game, you guys are updating this game constantly still, <clears throat> um, but it's there's so many features it's impossible to to get everything the game has to offer. I think in one playthrough, it's impossible. Maybe even three or four playthroughs is still impossible. Um, but that's one of the things I love about the game, and it's picking up so much popularity. Like uh, a lot of YouTubers are now, or, or streamers are now playing RimWorld. How does that make you feel, uh, uh, Tynan, to, to see how this game has evolved and, and grown, and to see that it's gaining so much popularity, and uh, for at least for streamers and Twitch and things like that? Uh, well, it's really validating. I mean, at this point, it's sort of the slow burn that's been going on for a long time, uh, as you noted. Uh, the big surprise was really back in 2013 when the Kickstarter came out. Uh, you can go back and look at the the um, campaign, and the goal was $20,000. And at the time, you know, I was going back and forth with my girlfriend, my friends, and stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's like $20,000 is so much money, you know? It's crazy. Um, could we could actually make that amount? And then the like by the end of it, it racked up like 200, 268,000, I think. Um, We're having a party. <laughs> so, so that was uh, that was a nice surprise. But since then, I mean, I, it's sort of been just this really, really steady, steady building up process. You know, We're like, and every time there's a new alpha, there's a spike in interest, and then it sort of falls off a bit, and then we do another alpha update, add some more stuff, and there's another spike, and it's bigger. And uh, I think. You know, I like working on it because it's the kind of game that builds up over time instead of falls off. I think some types of games, you know, you make them and 
you release them and there's a month of interest and then like it's just an old game now. That, yeah, that, that's a really like, like kind of that's a big becoming a big problem um, today yeah. with so many like I mean I think it's a, I think we're in a beautiful time but we're at a, a as far as you know um, independent artists go but we're also at kind of a, a transitioning period where things kind of haven't fallen into place just yet right because so many game, people are trying different things you got people like well the big guys like Blizzard and and <clears throat> they're sort of microtransactions they do with their games like you know like for example hearthstone's free to play and here's yeah. of the storm but then you have to like pay real money to get like extra shit or cards or, or whatever and and so that's kind of a thing that's happening and and, the, and uh, lots of independent developers are coming out with you know re- releasing their games early you know encouraging people to play it in alpha and, and have fan input put into the game <clears throat> but those kind of things can they can work out great or they can be a double-edged sword and People just lose interest, especially if like a developer doesn't follow through on their promises, you know. Which uh, I think is is the credit to you guys and the and the fact that you are still gaining popularity. <clears throat> um, let's talk about what Rim, RimWorld is though, just because I'm sure people are I'm wondering what the hell oh. we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, no, but basically think of it. Okay, so you described it as Dwarf Fortress, which is very accurate. There's a lot of micromanaging that can be done. But at the same time, the AI works in such a way that you don't really need to. The, the, the micromanaging is a lot more for, I think, the, the players who are really trying to get the most out of the game and enjoy that uh, kind of micromanaging style of, of management. Um, but uh, but so you can you can kind of choose to do all that stuff. But I found you know I've played campaigns or played run-throughs where I didn't need to do that. But it's a little bit like that. So you you land on this colony or your colony lands on this planet. Uh, and a rem- different location. Each map well, has randomly generated. Exactly, and yeah. um, your, your characters are generated, and the the environments generated, the plants generated. You choose your starting location where you want to land, and your characters will generate with these like randomized backstories. Like you'll have uh, you know uh, a housewife and an accountant and a doctor and an ex-soldier or something, and and uh, these each start out with. Their own characteristics and their own skills, and you land there and try to try to make a colony with them. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you try and you can you do mining, you can do farming, you can do. There's like I said earlier, there's so many features in this game. It's astounding. It's it's I, and I love it, and it, it feels a lot of it still feels pretty pretty solid. You know, it's not like I haven't found run into too many things where I was like, oh, then that's kind of broken. Um, but so so in that sense, it still feels it doesn't feel like an alpha game at all, really. I mean, I. I w- I guess the reason you guys are still keeping it in alpha is because you haven't added, still haven't added all the features you yeah. want, or, or. Yeah, alpha just means that there's, it's not feature complete, you know. That's all right. it means, yeah. essentially. And beta means it's feature complete, and we're not sure that we're not finished testing it. Um, you know, alpha doesn't guarantee. Like, there's some people who think that oh, alpha means it's going to double the feature size or something. There's, there's been noise about that, and that, that's not true. It could mean one new feature, um, but it doesn't mean it's buggy either. Necessarily, right. like we try, like I, I really try to keep the game, uh, I guess bug-free and well-balanced enough that I can get meaningful information from people's play experiences. Because I mean, half the reason I'm releasing it continuously is just so I know how it's actually playing. Because uh, the massive amount of feedback that comes out of thousands and thousands of people playing is incredibly useful for me in working on the next version. You know, so it's it's that, and it's also to get sales. Yeah. Um, but in order for that feedback to be meaningful, the game has to work pretty much how it's supposed to work. So we try to keep it really bug free. Um, there's, there's like hundreds of like tiny bugs that very few people would ever notice. We're still constantly fixing these things. It's kind of like staggering mm-hmm. how much time it really takes to chase down all the issues in a 
product as complex as this where everything can interact with everything, um, which is the, the beauty of it. Like, that's why it, I think the game is powerful. It's like, yeah, your surgeon can be doing a surgery and then a, a mechanical, you know, death machine can bust through a wall and the whole room can get set on fire. And how's that supposed to work out? You know, yeah, it's a game um, a lot like you're, you're gonna, you have to, you have to be comfortable like dying. <laughs> Because especially like you're not gonna last long I, the first time you play the game if you play it like you know brand spanking new to the game um, mm. it's there's just there's so many cool things you learn along the way like I was building a base uh, one time and uh, like I spawned my colony like we drop ship right next to this big kind of abandoned building and we checked out the building I was like oh free resources and uh, and then we opened the building and there's like these just, these like alien pods or something and then, like my this guy's getting this sense of foreboding coming from him, and it's like, holy shit. And I'm like, what's in these? And then I open, and bam, like you die instantly because these aliens jump well, out and start that's killing That's entirely you. your own fucking fault, man. <laughs> you got the sense of foreboding message. It's very clearly telling you, don't open this shit. And then you just do it anyways, right? Well, if you don't open it, it tells you. I think the game's like, you need to respond to this as soon as possible. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Uh, no, I mean, for, if you're busting into the uh, ancient temples, you get the sense of foreboding message, Oh, that's right. right that's right. They're, like, they're responding. This dusty thing. structure contains great danger. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Stay away. You know, you can open it, and when you're powerful, you'll be able to deal with whatever's inside. But if you just landed, I, I think that, yeah, you should probably think that you're really not supposed to... You probably you probably shouldn't open somewhere like that unless you really want to roll the right. die. Right. So that was my fault. But that's this thing I'm telling you about, though. You can it's it's cool, and you might think, well, shit, you know, that sucks. But now you get to restart again. You get a new random generated set of characters, and uh, and you can and you can learn from that. Next time you see that, you're like, you know what? I know what's inside now. I'm going to prepare for this shit. Um, and then it's something different inside. <laughs> exactly. But that's yeah, great. I mean, I think that what what you're saying is important, which is that. Um, I mean, this this actually goes really deep into the design philosophy behind the game, which is that it's not really supposed to be a game in the traditional sense. I think when people talk about games, there's usually this assumption that they're essentially a power fantasy that revolves around achieving victory and the emotions of victory and triumph. And that comes with all these assumptions like, you know, if you're good enough, you should be able to win all the, all the time without really losing anything. You know, if... if um, if you're skilled enough, that should always be the case. The player should always expect to, f to feel triumph. You know, these sorts of assumptions, and those are really deeply ingrained from a lot of games. Mm -hmm. um, but I really think that there's this big design space of things that we can do with video games that are outside that. And that's why, from the beginning, actually, RimWorld has been conceptualized as a story generator. Yes. Which, of course, has gameplay and interfaces and challenges and things for the player to take on. But in terms of the outcomes that occur, it's not supposed to always lead to victory. Like, it's not supposed to be a skill equals victory game. Like, just like life, sometimes your people will just, uh, w sometimes you will have to make sacrifices that, that, that are wrenching. Um, sometimes things will happen where you can't get out without losses. I, I don't. I try not to create situations where you know you just die, like a meteor falls on your guy and he just dies, because uh, I think that's kind of lame. That's a bit too much of life. Um, yeah. And it's but not that, gratifying. That can it feels, happen. Feels if like you're, you're helpless. Mining. It, it can in happen in very rare circumstances, <laughs> but I try really hard to make sure that if the game gives you something unfair, or that seems not even necessarily unfair, because fairness is a really arbitrary concept. Sure. Um, but something that seems kind of a little bit more. Um, more lifelike, so to say, than than most games. There is still a choice. There is still a sacrifice you can make to survive. 
It's just that that sacrifice will have to be made. So you might have to choose between, you know, throwing your, you know, two best fighters and your doctor into the front of a uh, deadly raid that's coming at you or letting them burn down half your base. And that's the decision you're going to make. There's there might not be a way to to save everything and always win every encounter. And, and I think that that's valuable because, first of all, it creates a lot more sense of drama when you know that those risks are really there that you can't just get good enough and hit, have a, a win button sure um because you feel those possibilities are there like you're afraid of these things could happen at any moment um but also because afterwards when you're telling the story to your friends like the story's a lot more interesting maybe maybe it's seems disappointing or sad at the moment but you know tragedy has has its place in stories so you no, know you're, I th- you're I feel absolutely like right that's, yeah that's something i want people to understand about the game it's not it's not really a game in the traditional sense, uh, though it's supposed to be entertaining. But uh, I'm trying to hit a wider range of emotions with it. I think you. I think and uh, the whole storytelling element, I think, is something kind of new, or at least not very. You know, people haven't really explored it a whole lot. Um, but the game set up. Um, <clears throat> well, I think back when you guys, uh, well, at least one of the first versions I played of the game, you only had like one storyteller. I mean, you could still within that hmm. storyteller, you could just, I think set. Easy, medium, or hard, or something like that. I think we have to tell people what the storyteller is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the storyteller, the storyteller, uh, is, uh, honestly, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically, it's, I guess, a set of rules for the game, right? Where, um, the penny, like, the classic one, I forget their names, honestly, I'm sorry, but, um, (laughs) Cassandra or something, I don't remember. Yeah. But, uh, she, she, I guess, is the default, right? She'll tell a story. So basically, what that means is, um, random things happen, or random, uh, uh, events occur within your colony, uh, relationships can form or, or, or rivalries can form, as well as random events like we talked about a little bit earlier with pods crashing or uh, in, uh, raids coming in or different colonies coming to visit you. Things, All those kind of things randomly kind of happen throughout the game. And um, they kind of, they, they tell a story. And those, and you can set, I think the default setting is as you, as the game, as time passes through the game, these random events or these raids become a little bit more difficult to, to deal with. And, and it's like, you know, you, you, like, for example, there's one personality trait that, that a character can have. And I forget exactly what it's called, but basically they, 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 they yearn to be bionic, like they want a bionic limb or something <laughs> like that. Profile, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I thought that was so cool. And I dove into that little section of the game and I realized you can, like, actually give your characters surgeries and operations to perform like you know limb transplants and shit like that and, and that was <laughs> amazing much. uh just that just that amount of detail but yet it, it for it adds to the story it adds to uh, and and it gives you uh, what's the word i'm looking for you 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 get developed and you get or you get um devoted to these characters you get interested in these characters and these players and and the yeah. longer they survive um it, it's it's yeah it's a great storyteller and like you so you can sit back and tell you know, let me tell you what happened in Rim World. You know, and it's like this happened, and that. And it's like, and it's never the same story from each person. Yeah. It's always different. It's always different. Yeah, just just to clarify, the idea with the storytellers is, um, it's sort of based on that like AI director concept from Left for Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea is, it's essentially this artificial intelligence that sort of sits there and uh, pushes incidents into the simulation. So, you know, the storyteller will decide when people get malaria within certain parameters or when uh, when a raid arrives and how powerful it's going to be and whether it's going to be death robots or a hostile tribe or pirates or something. Uh, and she's got this whole library of incidents to choose from. Uh, and that's fine. You know, that's just the, the game creating events for you. But uh, one of the little 
Fun details of RimWorld is that you can choose between several different storytellers who, who have sort of different personalities. So mm-hmm. the traditional one is Cassandra Classic, uh, and she will sort of try to follow the traditional rising curve of tension where, you know, it starts out with a few, like, small challenges, and then they get greater and greater over time. And, and there's sort of an on-off, like, threat cycle pacing to them where some threats will happen, and then you'll get a breathing period, and some threats will happen. Um, so that's her. But then, you know, there's other storytellers. The other, the, the most crazy one is Randy Random, who just randomly throws random events in with, like, no no sense of balance or spacing or anything. So you can get two raids within one minute, you know? And then they'll start fighting each other and, like, yeah, it creates more more crazy outcomes, you know. It's, you yeah, get, it's, like, a, it's a harder difficulty, so to speak. It, it, it's not a harder difficulty though, because like really, there is a difficulty setting that's separate from this entirely. Difficulty just changes like when a raid comes, how many guys are there? When okay. uh, there's a disease, how deadly is it? When you make, when you grow crops, how much food do you get? You know, these are just numerical shifts, and we can change difficulty very easily by doing that. But the changing the storyteller adjusts the pacing and sort of the structure of how the game's going to play out. So Randy Random, yes, can produce more difficult scenarios in certain circumstances, but can also be easier in other circumstances. Um, you know, oh, it might I sound see, like yeah. guaranteed to be bad for a raid to come at the same time as a pack of manhunting, uh, mm-hmm. like genetically engineered wolf creatures, but maybe that's good because the wolf creatures will fight the pirates for you. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. Like, these things interact in nonlinear ways, you know? Or maybe it's bad for there to be toxic fallout poisoning everyone on the map, but once again, that will kill certain types of enemies who, who can't show up. So Randy essentially does create more and more ridiculous and less predictable situations. Um, and that's a choice that's, I think, orthogonal to difficulty, and that's that's important to understand. And... Um, yeah, so that's basically the idea behind the storytellers, just so people know. We're, well, no, we're that actually that encourages me, I think, to kind of explore. Because I, well, um, right now the the game I'm currently playing, because I still feel like I've never been able to really explore the full tech tree. Uh, yet, you know, I was died before I got you know past a certain point. So I kind of wanted to just be able to sit back and build some shit and see how far down the tech I could go and what other cool things the game had to offer that I haven't experienced yet. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've got to think I set on Cassandra where it, it, she, uh, you know, like you said, it starts off kind of easy, it gets harder. So there's still a sense of challenge there, but at the same time, it's more like of a base building kind of scenario where it doesn't happen quite as often uh, and allows you a little more time to, to kind of expand and research and build your base, which is, uh, that's a whole freaking game in itself. So you got this whole defend, you got to, basically you start off with three, I think, yeah, three people and you've expanded your colony. Now these, you can have new people. You can capture different tribe people. Uh, you can expand it in a bunch of different ways. You want these people mm-hmm. to interact together. You want them to build a colony, survive, survive the cold weather or the hot weather, depending on if you're in a desert climate or a or, or the toxic a, weather. Or a to- exactly, there are these toxic weather things that happen, and those are a pain in the ass to deal with. <laughs> but um, so so you kind of it's like any I guess a lot of survival games. For example, Minecraft or Rust or things like that, where you start off with basically nothing and you've got okay this is the first 5 10 15 20 minutes of the game is like all right getting your basic foundations and surviving immediate threats and and getting your food secured you know and that's i think very satisfying i think that's why a lot of people love survival games so it's a survival game in that sense but then it becomes more of like a fucking like planet uh alien planet life simulator kind of Uh, i don't know it's really it's a cool concept in a game 
Um, well, I, I really hope that there's never going to be a point where you're just like, okay, this thing is solved and I don't have to think about it again. No, you're right. Um, yeah. Like, it shouldn't be like, okay, my food's secured and I'm done. Like, there are lots of ways you're going to lose your food supply. Like, toxic fallout will burn it off. Uh, manhunter packs can come and then animals will eat it or it'll rot in the fields because you can't go out and harvest it because there's wolves outside the door. Mm-hmm. Um, the crop blight can destroy it. If you're using hydroponics, you can lose power and then your crops will die. Winter will come and they'll freeze. Like, it's not, I'm not just saying this because it's like, oh, it's such a brutal game. It's so hardcore. It's like, things should be relevant continuously. Right. Otherwise, like, you're just forgetting about this whole section of the game. It's, it's a shitty design. So, uh, everything's supposed to come back, you know? Like, your colonist health will always be relevant. Your food supply, like, it's fairly simple to get up a really basic colony with a couple sleeping spots and some crops growing. Like, it really takes nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just as you build up, you know, you're going to be able to achieve more, but the challenges are going to grow more complex and uh, more difficult and, and bigger to match you. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, it will. The, the game does get harder over time as you're playing. And, and but you're, players but you're well, more well equipped, in. yeah. But, uh, but, you know, the challenges change in kind, but they're always there. Um, it's like, like I said, it's a lo- it feels a little bit like life, or at least what life might be like on an alien planet, you know what I mean? I mean, um, the premise is space western, right? So if you take like a western town, you know, basically isolated with trying to grow their own crops and, and on this frontier place where there's really no government and, and no, nobody taking care of the, the world in general. Uh, and just put that in space. And so it's this rimworld planet that's out in the middle of nowhere and there's not a lot of people there. And, you know, there's some hostile tribes. There's pirates who rove around. There's these death machines. There's various natural disasters. And if something goes wrong, there's no one there to help you out. Um, so, you know, crop blights can be a real problem and depending on the situation you're in, for example. Hey, you still there? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, okay. You said, for example, I, I, I was a, no, that was the end of this. That was right. my ending. Uh, yeah, I thought you had another example to go on to. Um, uh, I apologize. No, 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 no. I uh, no, I agree. And it's I see. I hate those games where it's like, um, you know, like RTS games are a little bit like that or something like that, uh, where it's uh, you. Uh, if once you figure it out and you figure out the AI and you figure out the mechanics of the game really well, you can pretty much. It's like all right, you, A B C plus D equals win. You know what I mean? And uh, that's well, not at all what real world is true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, RTS are made for multiplayer competition, right? So that's really supposed to be a small set of very elegant tools to fight against another human being. Well, yeah, that was just one example. But, but no, you're right. And uh, that's but see, that's that's why this game I think is good because you're playing the AI, yet the AI is reacting in such a random way uh, most of the time that you're never going to be able to say, okay, well, all I got to do to to to, to win the game um and and that's i i think that's kind of where i lack i for example a game like um factorio i love that game but i think real world is better and i'm not just saying that because i have you here and you're and i'm talking Thanks. to you but yeah. i think uh but i love factorio but factorio i mean i know there are mods you can install and stuff like that but as of right now where the development is with that game you know it, it takes it's it, it takes some time to get to the end goal but you can almost always get to the end goal. You got to build a rocket, shoot, shoot into space. Game's over. There's and now you've reached the game over scenario. There's no reason to continue playing that game, which is not true. There's plenty of reasons to continue playing that game, but but I'm just trying to make a point here. The real world, I don't feel like is that kind of game. There's you're 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 always gonna. I don't think you're ever gonna reach a point. At least I haven't yet reached a point where I feel like you know I've completed the game. 
That's great. I, I just want to push back a little bit on something you said, which is that you're playing against the AI, but you're not playing against the AI. You know, the AI is a storyteller. It's not there to beat you. It's not the other side of a conflict. That's true. It's there to tell a story together with you. Um, which I mean, it, this it's like the whole like comp competitive gaming thing is so embedded in in how everyone <laughs> thinks about games. And I'm sorry if I sound critical, but like this, the assumptions always come back. The language always comes back, and it's so hard to to to. Yeah. You're no, right. Push though. and say, okay, like this is a collaborative thing. It, their challenges are there against your people, and you are, of course, sort of representing and directing your your colony against these challenges. But that's just like it's just a mechanism to create drama, because drama is interesting. Um, this, you know, the storyteller could send anything she wanted against you and, and just murder you instantly. Um, but it, it's it's sort of a collaborative thing. You know, the game creates these events and then your mind engages with them and, and a story emerges in your, your head. And that's that's the mechanism. Like, I observed that in, in Dwarf Fortress and that was kind of the, the main inspiration for the game. Sort of seeing how people would create stories from this game and write them down and, and imbue them with all this detail that was not there in the simulation. And I found that fascinating. And I, was, I thought we could, you know, make a game that accomplished that more elegantly and, and ideally in a more approachable way. Uh, and that's the goal of RimWorld. It's, it's not like you're playing against the computer. It's you're, you're creating a, you're sort of interacting with this game, the system, and the storyteller's interacting with it too, and the simulation runs, and the story emerges from it. And that's the goal here. And whether you win or lose, I, I hope it's grat- gratifying either way. Because losing is fun. You know, losing can be really fun if it's an interesting way to lose. Sure. Um, I, 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 I totally agree with you. And I think that, and I, yeah, I, I probably, um, uh, worded that a little improperly there with the whole plan <laughs> against the AI. Um, well, but that's I mean, something but, I want to hammer on. You no, know? It's no my, you're my, right, it's and I, I, I <laughs> and I think it's good you you kind of have that to to stand behind because um, I think raising awareness of that is because it you know especially for casual gamers uh, um, the it it can that's they don't really know you know what I mean they they could look at this game and look at the trailers for it or look at gameplay of it and and say. Uh, they don't really like well, your trailers and and you can there's plenty of content out there to watch um they're great but it without that without really understanding and i gotta admit i you've opened up my eyes to a little bit more about the whole story side of the game just in this conversation um mm-hmm. it, i think it does i think that is probably the big thing or one of the largest things that makes RimWorld a great game in, in my opinion um because there's so many different ways to so the game can play out, and and I say you're playing against the AI, but I meant like AI is is throwing curveballs at you, right? Um, hmm. It's not like there's a, a, a RTS where there's a, a force and you have to defeat the force or something like that. I mean, you're just surviving, and um, <laughs> as long yeah. as you possibly can. Yeah, I mean, in terms <laughs> of the, this whole thing I'm talking about, the whole like story generation view. I mean, that's really more Faffrey on my side as the designer. That's something that's more relevant to me. For players, of course, most of them come at it the same way they come at it in any game where they're trying to achieve as much as possible. They're trying to survive as long as possible. And that's totally natural. So the game doesn't demand anything from you in terms of doing anything different. But in terms of, like, from my side, how I'm making it, how I'm making design decisions that go into it, what I'm targeting is not this constant emotion of of triumph, which is what victory games are about. That's not the goal is to always make the player feel badass and win every time and always make it feel fair in every situation. Like these, these are just things that I'm throwing away and saying, okay, the goal is actually to make it interesting, to make it play out in a unique way, to make it the characters 
come out to make there be different emotions like uh, tragedy or comedy triumph as well triumph is definitely one of them or sort of gritty determination um it's it's really on my side but i'm hoping that and i, I think it's working that the players are feeling some of those outcomes as well players are are experiencing something that's not in most games that are just targeted towards nothing but victory um yeah and there's a and lot of things in a million ways yeah exactly there are a lot of ways it does that a lot of things for example i was talking about earlier just the whole um, being able to, to, to operate on your uh, um, uh, on your colonists and and having hmm. each colonist designed for a different role, you kind of create the government, right? You mentioned earlier there's no government, but I think the player kind of creates his or own way of playing, which is you know they they govern the players. The player is the governor. Huh. You know what I mean? Uh, or the, the colonists. I, I mean, you're, you're sort of the collective decision making of the colonists. It's really vague as to what role the player actually plays. I mean, you sort of lay down. Okay, you're going to build this wooden building here, for example, right? And then the colonists sort of determine who exactly carries what piece of wood to go and build exactly what, you know, piece of wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of undefined, like what role you're in there. I sort of just imagine the player as being the collective decision making of of the colonists. Right, and, uh, and but but that can be micro. Uh, you can you can actually micro that, like I was saying earlier. Oh you yeah, can, you can set it to where like okay, this colony, your only job is to clean this shit off the floor and to go uh, uh, plant crops, right? That's your only yeah. job. You can do that. Um, you know, if, yeah, you you assign your who does what kinds of work and you can set people to do surgeries and or like say you're just a hauler, you just haul things around because you're an idiot and are useless at <laughs> anything else. Right. Um, which yeah. and so that's a good thing. Like if, when you start out a new game, um, and it gives you a random, th- it gives you three colonists to start off with, and you can rename them. But other than that, their other stats are random, and they get traits and like or advantages and disadvantages, kind of like where you know some of them they're incapable of doing work such as hauling or being intellectual, but they're really good at like. Uh, I don't know something else. Um, Shoot, shooting or shoot, yeah. research or something, right? Um, uh, well, well, I mean, they're not actually like entirely random. Like that sort of creates the the image of we're just like randomizing a bunch of stats and that's it. Okay. Um, we do. I was actually inspired by uh, this game, this pen and paper RPG called The Burning Wheel. Uh, had this character creation system where you didn't just roll up your stats like in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you choose sort of a sequence of backstory elements. So it's like, okay, what was your childhood? And then what was your, what did you do in your teen years? And then what did you do in early adulthood? And so on and so forth. And each one um, gives some sort of bonus or detriment or something to your character, right? Well, like so, like you know, a, it's you, a backstory kind of. Exactly. Yeah, like if you, if you say, okay, my character was a farmer and then grew up to become like a metalsmith or something like that and then was a pirate on a ship, <laughs> then your farmer background is going to give you like plus two to farming or something and then your metalsmith is going to give you plus two to metalworking and so on and so forth. But, I mean, ultimately you sort of end up with a, a sequence of stats, but I think it's a lot more interesting because you can sort of say who this person is and why they are the way they are. Um and it's just about queuing in people's like interest in stories, you know. So yeah. Rimworld does the same thing. So you're gonna have like, okay, this person grew up as a noble lordling in like this medieval castle, um, which means that they're gonna refuse to do hauling labor, they're gonna refuse to do farming or stuff because they're too proud for it. But they're gonna be really good at like negotiations or something. So if you're doing a trade negotiation, they're gonna be great. Um, mm-hmm. But if you want a dumb laborer, you'd probably rather have the medieval farm oaf. So let me ask you. A quick research, you know, but he's great at farming. Right. Um, let me ask you a quick question here. Actually, I got a couple points I want to hit on. You hit on D&D, which I wanted to hit on before you even brought it up, so I'm glad you brought it up. 
Um, sure. But uh, if if you can tell, help me out a little bit here on. Uh, so if I'm taking if I take a, a colonist that is really good like intellectually right and and with having and like a good conversationalist and good at trade negotiations and uh, a tribe comes to trade with me if I take the one the, the, my colonist who is the best at that will I get what how's that AI work does um, or how does that situation work do I get like a lower prices uh, for for trade value or uh, yeah it's pretty straightforward I mean yeah you can actually inspect the stats of your colonists there's a little I button on their inspect pain when you select them and it shows you the stats and one of them is like trade price improvement right. and you'll go into it and it'll show you all the factors for that stat so i think the two major ones are speaking ability as in like okay the two major ones are social skill and speaking ability so social skill is just it's just one of the skills i think there's like nine skills from shooting to farming to to social and that'll tend to be high if they're like a lordling or, or a you know an empath or something like that in their, their previous life um, but the other thing is uh, their speaking capacity, which is actually related to their health. So if you have someone who their jaws shot off, or they've been like hit in the face, yeah. or which I think is like another that, good little subtlety yeah, you guys gonna, add to that, yeah. they're actually going to have difficulty speaking, which is going to make them a poor negotiator. Um, anyways, and again, that yeah, that's for- such a good feature too. That's what another one of my something so small, right? You can't even see it in the graphical res- representation. Which you don't really, I don't really care if you can or not, because again, it's more about the story and using your imagination. I, I, I love that. That's like, oh, this guy, he got shot in the face by, you know, a, a raider, and now, you know, he can't, you know, his vision is right, and his right. girlfriend hates him <laughs> because he's <laughs> disfigured, so exactly. she gets a minus twenty opinion boost, and now she's cheating on him. Cause right, it, you know? right, and then that guy, like, he finds all, out all she's this, cheating on him. Is in the game. He finds know? out she's cheating on him, and then he goes on a rage and starts like attacking. And then, shit. Yeah, and then he goes on a rampage and <laughs> kills several people and like starts a fire. <laughs> it happens. And then he throws him in prison, and then he does a prison break during a raid and comes out and like kills two of the raiders before dying in a hail of gunfire. You know, and that's his redemption. And it's like fuck. Like this, this is, this is yeah. the. All this shit happens in the in the game, it and really, I, I love it. You know? I do too. Uh-oh. I really do. Yeah. Now going back to the Dungeons and Dragons, though, um, that's what I was gonna say earlier. Like, um, what what RimWorld kind of feels like is a little bit of a, a live action. Well, not live action. It's a it's a it's a game, a D and D game with graphical and and representation. And I think it, a lot of games try to do like you know D and D rules, if you will. But um, RimWorld doesn't really do D and D rule. It, like you, I think you re envision like you took D and D and use it as a, an ex- uh, an inspiration to create a game that, like, in the way that D&D or games like D&D do, um, tabletop, you know, RPG games, you basically, those games are designed for sto- people to sit around and tell stories to one another and, and be able to interact yeah. within those stories. Yeah. And uh, and there's not a lot of video games out there that kind of capture that, I think, as well. I mean, I think it's impossible to capture it without actually playing a tabletop RPG, like, authentically, but I think RimWorld does a pretty good job of getting very close. I mean, it depends on how far you want to push it. It is, like, it's harder to do it alone, but I think if you watch some of the, like, YouTubers, video makers who make videos for RimWorld, some of the, the more creative ones, will sort of spin a story and tell a story, and it'll make it, they'll make it really interesting. Yeah. Um, Those are successful D&D's really good ones, comparison yeah. And D&D and just pen and paper RPGs in general, um, because they sort of bring up something I think is really interesting, and which I've really tried to hammer on with RimWorld, which is that people will these game mechanics with a lot more detail, story detail than really exists in the game mechanics. Um, so you know, in D and D, you'll have these really simple combat interactions where, like, okay, this guy 
falls over and he takes two points of damage and then he gets hit or something like that. And players will take that and in the description, especially talking together, they'll socialize and decide that, oh, he fell over and he had this look of pained, you know, defeat on his face. And then uh, your guy fell, you know, fell on top of him with the knife down and had like an accidental critical hit. And it was this funny thing. Um, you know, in the game mechanics, it's just this cold set of numbers with almost nothing behind them. Uh, but when people's minds engage with that, people can spin this story automatically. Like people are amazingly good storytellers and rationalizers. And a lot of what RimWorld does is uh, essentially trying to let that happen. You know, they, I, I say the game is a story storytelling game, but it's really the player who tells most of it. Mm -hmm. um, the player who adds all the meaning. You know, the game will say like, okay, you know, Joe got his his uh, nose cut off by a raider or something. And so his girlfriend now has minus 15 opinion points of him because of disfigured. And that's it. Like, that's all it says um, in the actual game. But, the, you know, in the description, players will spin these just unconsciously, like without even trying. People will, will spin up these amazing, uh, these amazingly detailed relationships and, and, and encounters and stories. Um, and I think that's something really powerful. And I've really tried to hammer on with the, with the game. And if you watch... If you watch some of the YouTubers or read some of the stories that people post, like on our forums, we have a stories section at ludion.com slash forums, or on Reddit, people will come up with these uh, these amazing narratives based on just these pretty simple mechanical hints that the game gives them. So I think that's something really powerful. Um, Do you have any uh, uh, favorite uh, YouTubers or, 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 or streamers or whatever that uh, you maybe want to throw out there so people can go check out some of these things? Uh, I could name one off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I'm I know sorry. there's some out there. No, I know, like, for example, um, I don't think they've done any videos as, as at the time of recording this yet on RimWorld, but I listen to their podcast, and I listen to I'm, – I'm sure a lot of people familiar with the, the YouTubing kind of world. Um, there's, a, there's a group of uh, developers or a group of uh, – what do you call them? YouTubers. YouTubers. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that that um, they're called the Yogs Cast, and they're mostly based out of. Uh, about, yeah, I heard of them. Yeah. Okay. Sips um, did a video of RimWorld a long time ago. Yeah, he did a series a long time ago, but they were recently. Well, it was it's so ancient though. That's why I say I'm not sure because all the videos I can think of are from like five alphas old, and I don't want people to. Right, for sure. You know, I'd rather people see the game as it is and not how it used to be, and because yeah, it's way better now. Yeah, but they, but they were talking about revisiting it on a, on a, on a recording they did one time, uh, and they they were lived just recently within. The last week they were really pumped up they were playing it kind of offline and i think they were talking about maybe shooting some more videos out but yeah there's a lot of good ones but if you check them out try to get the recent ones so you can really understand the new features not that the old ones aren't good but it's always good to kind of see what the game has to offer now so yeah. um, so i agree well, uh go ahead when the yeah when the game first came out it was bare bones as hell like uh, you know i i really try to like come up with like the absolute minimum game design that will function as this game and then start with that and then add more features later on. So I think when the Kickstarter hit and, uh, and people were playing it because I released the pre-alpha just, just after the Kickstarter, uh, it had been in development for like eight months, which is like almost nothing for a video game these days. Um, so it was really, really bare bones. So, you know, it's, it's much more filled out now is, is that's all I'm, I'm getting at. Sure. I um no I I 100% uh yeah it it see that's what I was saying early on like the game it's growing it feels like it's growing so fast I mean you might go a month or two before you come back to it but the, but there's still there's so many little things that have happened within that month or two and then like you know every, uh you guys release a, a a big update you know every so often and it's always something cool to go back and check out and and it's so I can't wait to see 
you know, where the game goes from here. I mean, I think there's a lot of good directions you guys could take, a lot of cool things. Um, are you taking, I mean, it sounds like a pretty, you know, stupid question, but um, how are you taking input from the fans uh, uh, and your supporters and putting that into the game? Uh, in large volumes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I cruise the, the, you know, the forums and pretty, pretty much daily. Just, you know, I don't always reply. And uh, in fact, I usually don't, of course. Um, just because it takes a lot longer, but the volume of feedback is really useful. So I'll go and just like, just sort of drink it in. I mean, that's, that's what I find is most useful. It's not like, oh, you're going to go and get one suggestion and put the exact thing in the game. It's more like going and, and essentially just taking it all in, noting it all down. I have this document of like 40 pages of stuff that just, you know, I've thought of or, or other developers have thought of or, uh, or whatever that I want to do in the game. Um, so it all it all gets absorbed, and then it's really sort of about finding patterns in the the feedback, sort of finding general themes, things that are generally bothering people. Like sometimes you'll get like three different suggestions, and then when you read them all and put them together, you realize they all kind of address the same fundamental issue, um, which maybe needs to get addressed in some fourth way that that uh, you know wasn't actually brought up in public. But um, so. I guess I'm being kind of vague here, but uh, the general the general theme is uh, I try to I try to absorb as much as I can because it's all useful even if it's not even if like most ideas have been have come up before some or you know these sorts of things so it's not that every individual suggestion is is gold and has to go in the game because right. they're not <laughs> uh, and uh, you know the whole point of me being here and me having learned things about game design so that I can figure out what what sounds good and what what's actually going to make the game better, um, but getting the general feeling is incredibly valuable, and, and having a really really uh, tight uh, tight handle on that and really knowing what it is and what people are talking about is is incredibly useful because it lets me direct effort essentially to the things that are really going to matter. Um, and the other side of this is also I was, I'm trying to keep in mind that there's a large class of people who will never give feedback to the game. Um, there's a huge selection bias in terms of who you hear from, so I think there are games that have been harmed by following what the community wanted too closely because the community is not all the players. The community is just that relatively small group who actually go on forums and actually give suggestions to game developers. And there's a much larger and I think more casual but also important and worthwhile group of players who who will just never tell you anything um, because it's just not in their nature to do so as, as game players. So I, I really try to keep them in mind as well. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of caveats. It's hard to balance, but essentially consume as much as possible and then uh, try to balance it out with the people who are there and people who aren't there and figure out what the themes are and address those. Um, I've got a, uh, we're, we're getting towards the, close to the end of time here, so I got but I do have a couple other things I want to, I want to try to address Hang real on. quick. Um, <clears throat> a couple things. Well, oh, I'd speaking on the terms of suggestions, and I know I'm not the only one that has thought this, uh, but, um, uh, are there any plans to maybe, because as we alluded to earlier, uh, you spawn on this uh, planet, and, but on a specific quadrant, or, or not quadrant, but a specific uh, yeah. section of that planet. Um, is there any ways to, uh, uh, in the future, to possibly visit other places, uh, other like neighboring uh, little sections, if you will? Uh, may, uh, of, of, well, I mean, that's one of those things that gets brought up all the time. Right. Um, and uh, I think it was, I think it might have been mentioned in the original Kickstarter video. Uh, essentially, you can ask me like what the future plans are, but I generally we'll just tell you I don't know because I actually don't plan. Um, I don't have a design document I'm working from. 
Um, <laughs> well, that's because, that's that's I mean, assuring. No, this, this, <laughs> this is like, I, I think okay. I've gone through the design document thing. Uh, when I was younger, I worked on other indie games, which of course failed, you know, crashed and burned, and, and mods and stuff. Uh, and I've watched it play out in uh, organizations as well. And I really think it's a problem because it sort of puts you in this prison where you're locked into doing things that once you arrive and are actually starting to do them, you sort of know we're stupid and you could probably make a better decision uh, at that time and do something different because you know more, you know, you know more in the future. So essentially my strategy on design is to defer decisions as long as possible and make them as late as possible because you're a procrastinator you know, you, at heart. Yes, I get it. Yeah. You, well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. Future yeah. new you knows more than present you. Exactly. And I think this is actually the reason people don't do this. That's like a I'm Zen get, comment right there. I, I love. That. I'm gonna get into to like Faffery psychology here, but I think a lot of people like it sounds like procrastinating, right? Like I'm saying, oh, I'm not even gonna bother with this until later. Like, oh, like it sounds lazy, but I think that in a lot of ways it's the opposite of lazy because. People tend to create design documents because they want this feeling of psychological safety where they don't have to make any more decisions. It's like, okay, all the hard decisions are thought of, and now I can just work on programming it and not have to think anymore, essentially, on that level. Mm-hmm. Not have to t- like worry about the feedback, not have to worry about all this stuff, which is actually really comforting in, in sort of a backwards way. And leaving decisions unmade, leaving things uncertain is actually sounds lazier in some level but it's actually more stressful and i think and can be more effortful which i think is a lot a lot of why it's so rare even though in my opinion it's incredibly beneficial to the design process um so in terms of future plans like things like traveling across the world or sending raids to other other colonies or other bases um these sorts of things are in this gigantic like reservoir of ideas that i mentioned before like the 40 page design reservoir Mm -hmm. um they're there, and some of them are really quite developed. Like, I've written up designs for a lot of things that aren't in the game. And the reason they're there is so that they can shuffle around and compete with each other for the top spot. Yep. And essentially the way it works is, like, each alpha, I'm like, okay, what's what are the next big features going to be? Or what's the, the big feature? And then I just go down the list and try to sort them and sort of bubble sort them together and, and let them fight it out. And, and knowing knowing what I do at that time, which tends to be a lot more than I would have known earlier, um, make the best decision at that point. So world travel thing is like, I think it's a strong contender. I want to do it, but I can't say that there's a plan for it because there's a lot of other ideas that are really strong contenders too. You know? Well, I think that's a really interesting like creative insight there. Um, and I do want to say, did you always kind of work that way? Or when you started out, were no. you, um, how, how long have you kind of had this sort of... Um... Uh, it sort of crystallized maybe six months before... RimWorld, or maybe a year before RimWorld. Like, uh, you know, when I was, I've been designing games since I was like 15. I started doing level design for the first Unreal tournament. Oh. Um, wow. And way back then, um, yeah, I'm aging myself here. But anyways, <laughs> I was 15 around that time, and I, you know, I was in high school, and this is just what I did after class, or you know, at, at when I was home at night, and uh, it was really fun. It was just a hobby. And, uh, you know, at the time I did like a mod, I wrote up this big ass design document. It was like 40, 50 pages or something. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, and then when it came time to actually implement the stuff, it's, it just didn't make sense anymore, you know, because I knew a lot more. I knew, I knew how the game was playing and such. And then, uh, I sort of kept doing it because there's really no alternative. So I think I did that for like, uh, 12 years or something like that was sort of the, the general time span. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, it was after I left Irrational and when I was doing prototypes for 
what was going to be Ludion's first game, and I didn't know what it was. And I essentially had written, I, I wrote this game design book around that time, designing games, and that really, I did a lot of reading to go into that. And a lot of that reading was about um, psychological biases and how people seek cognitive safety and cognitive ease and, and these sorts of things. And I realized I was doing all that stuff. Like there's this book called Thinking Fast and Slow um, by Daniel Kahneman, which goes into this a lot. And there's a lot of other books, and some of them I mentioned in, in my book. And having written my book as well, crystallized a lot of those ideas. And uh, essentially, you know, having gone through all those rough experiences with the traditional design document method and then writing about it and reading about it and trying to understand the actual psychology behind it. I was like, you know, I'm going to try this other thing. I'm going to try this idea of just not, not locking plans in and, and letting things float, uh, until the last moment and, uh, and see how that works out. And that was sort of right around the start of, of Ludion and, and it's worked really well so far. Yeah. Um, I, I know, dude, I got to tell you, man, I, um, the reason I ask in the first place is because it sounds a lot like kind of what I'm developed, starting to develop and what I'm starting to realize, I guess, is the better way to say it. Um, because as, as we were talking about before we started recording, um, you know, my whole uh, Technobabble network thing here, for a long time, like I started out, I wanted every episode to be like uh, have a have a script to it or at least have really like thick bullet points. Um, and then <laughs> just because I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to kind of be able to make sure I talked about everything. And then I realized the more I did it, you know what? Sometimes, as long as I'll have three or four bullet points now, or maybe even less than that, going into a, a, you know a session, and I feel like it just it flows more naturally. You end up hitting a, uh, some stuff that's even more important than the stuff you had highlighted, and uh, yeah. you just kind of do the things you know as they happen and as they flow. And and in terms of building this network. I had so many, and that's the thing. I'm a, I'm an idea guy. Like I like, I love to create, but oftentimes I put way too much on my plate. So I just kind of, I have all the stuff, like you said. I have a document myself of things I want to get to or things I need to get to, and uh, over time I just kind of take it day by day, and whatever kind of creeps up to the top, that's what I work on. You know what I mean? And it, to me, it's, uh, it's, it feels like you're right. It feels a little bit like procrastinating, but it also feels like just waiting. You know, letting these things harvest and or letting these things marinate and and waiting until they're the right time and, and you feel like uh, now is the time or something, or this is what we need to go on next, stuff like that. Um, so, no, it's, it's really cool. And, I mean, I'll have to definitely – I'm going to see if I can check out that book. I'd be interested to read it, uh, the one you wrote there. Yeah, Designing Games, <clears throat> O'Reilly Media. There's my plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, moving on, I guess the elephant in the room here. I'm sure many people have asked you about this before, uh, and maybe one of the reasons uh, we even still have to – Unfortunately, describe what RimWorld is to some people, because I think it's I think it it deserves way more attention than it's getting, even though it is getting uh, quite a bit of attention. But uh, Steam, are you guys? Do you have any plans to move into Steam, or what's that looking well, like? Yeah, I mean it's 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 on it's approved on Greenlight a while ago. Uh, so at this point, it's just about getting it all ready and uh, making sure everything's tip top and. Uh, you know, doing all the integrations and uh, and nailing it. So, you know, I don't have an announcement about Steam, but uh, you guys are wanting to figure. Aside from it's it's going to happen. Yeah, you uh, guys are wanting to fi uh, finish up this like current alpha. I guess you're working on right, and then and then kind of start looking at all that stuff, or, or you know, getting it set up, getting it ready to go. You're not trying to rush it, I guess is the point. Yeah, well, I definitely not don't want to rush it because that's a that's a mistake. No a point, lot of people and make, you know, yeah. it's it's it is the kind of game that I think does get better over time, and you know. As I've said before, one does not simply release a game on Steam. Right, that's uh, you know, very it's not like wise you just throw words. It out there. If you know Steam, the Steam release, there's been studies 
that, well, pretty informal studies, but some studies that demonstrate, I think, that typically the Steam release, even in early access, is the most important in the game moment in the game's life cycle for most games. Uh, you know, the final release, there is a sales spike there, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not as big as the just the first time it's available on Steam. So yeah. I want the game to be strong and prepared for that. And uh, I think it's getting there, and we're we're moving towards there, and there's there's really good momentum. So it's going to happen. It's just uh, I don't I'm not I'm not going to say a little over the horizon when right? or where because I I really don't I, I don't yeah. know the future, but no I understand. But uh, it's it's in the cards. Yeah, there's no date. Just know that it's coming, basically, right? That and but yeah, that's comforting. Yeah. That's comforting though because I I'm really excited to hear it. Um and uh, I because I, I think I think unfortunately like Steam is great, but it's, at the same time I think it's kind of unfortunate because you do get some of these great independent developed games um see a lot of people like i was talking to a buddy of mine who's who, they're, they're making a game right now uh and i bet and i and i played um i was part of the little beta test group and i played it and it's a good game but they were like really wanting to get it they were trying to get it greenlit on steam i'm like guys like you've got a good thing here but if you put it on steam now i feel like the way the steam community and people are in general these days they'll they might buy it you might you know but the way the game states now, you could you could end up looking at a lot of negative reviews, which could end up tanking the game. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it used to be a couple of years ago that getting a game on Steam was sort of like, okay, you're gonna have success if the game's on Steam, but it's just not true anymore um, because they're greenlighting like five games a day or something ridiculous. Like every every game's on Steam. Like any game that's even it's somewhat serious is typically gets on Steam um, these days. So I mean, people are really after actual quality. So. Just personally, like I, I don't worry about sales channels or the details of some deal with some faceless corporation. Uh, it's great to have that stuff, but at the end of the day, people are people are desperate for quality product. Um, like I, I look around, I'm like trying to find games to play. Every, there's always this there's these messages among game developers where it's like, oh, you know, the market is so oversaturated, no one can make a a living anymore. Which yeah. there is an element of truth to that because it's more saturated than it used to be. But as a player, I'm going around and I'm thinking I can't find anything to play. Like, I'm I'm looking for a good game that that sort of fits the criteria of what I want. I can't find one. So, if that's my point of view as a player, that indicates to me that there's a lot of there's a lot of demand out there, and people are seeking something that that satisfies them. Yeah. Um. So I getting agree. on Steam is not not the key. You know, people won't just buy whatever's thrown in front of them anymore. There's too many too much choice and and too many recommendation mechanisms and too much information. Um, <clears throat> no, you're no, right. Really, but it's really it, about the quality <clears throat> of the product, and the other stuff is secondary, in my opinion. No, no, no. I, I, I agree in a very large part. Um, I, I will kind of devil's advocate this a tiny bit and say, when the game is ready, like the, the place you want to be is on Steam. Because if you, if you're like, yeah. okay, the game is, I feel like the game is ready. Let's put it on Steam, or let's go for that green light. Um, then, and, and if it still fails, then that, you know, it just kind of teaches you something, I guess, right? Uh, or. Yeah. Then, at the very least, if the game is ready and people do want it, now it's out there for a larger audience of people to be able to find. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I love that. I think it's, I, I think that's a good thing about Steam. But like I said way back in the beginning, I feel like we're still at this kind of wishy-washy state of like online gaming and things like that to where, uh, things haven't really solidified yet. You know, you still get a lot of trash that comes out and, uh, but at the same time, oh, it's still good. The trash good. will keep coming, man. Yeah. The trash <laughs> will keep coming. Uh, well, that's 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 true. That's true. And maybe maybe more of it in the future. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, no, I don't think getting on Steam is irrelevant or something. I just don't think that like, I think that it's more of a consequence than a cause. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you have a solid game, it's going to get on Steam without too much difficulty. Um, getting on Steam should not be the goal because if you're just barely squeaking onto Steam, then 
that you're probably not going to, you're not going to barely squeak into a, a successful game at that point. Um, it's just, just my opinion. No, uh, that's really focusing on the product is the best. And once you have a good product, well, focusing not, on the product, product and, and, and the people who, who uh, are supporting your product, right? Uh, and you yeah. guys, like you, we talked about earlier, you guys do a wonderful job of that. Although that's really good advice though for like any game developers out there listening, trying to decide, you know, how to, pr- uh, promote their game and shit. Uh, but anyway, we are kind of coming up on, on the end of our scheduled time here. I yep. do want to say thanks, man. Uh, Tynan, it's been a fucking awesome... It's been... We've been trying to get you on for a long time, but like I said, that uh, we had some issues, <laughs> but we were finally... Finally, we're able to talk to you, and it was it's awesome uh, to be able to talk talk to you, and I hope... I appreciate you bringing me on. It's no, no, it was great, man. I hope you have more success uh, with... Uh, and people, by the way, if you want to get, if you want to, if you want to check it out and you haven't had it already, go to Ludeon.com. You can uh, buy the game RimWorld uh, on Ludeon. Well, actually, the the sales page is uh, RimWorldGame.com. Okay, RimWorldGame.com. Okay, I was under the impression. Or just or just Google it, RimWorld. Yeah, you know. yeah, you'll find it. Like, there's not in, any other game named RimWorld. Actually, <laughs> where did you guys come up with that name? Actually, I'm curious. Oh man, naming <laughs> games is hard. Naming games is really hard. It, it took like weeks. I thought about like it was, the prototype was called Eclipse Colony for a long time. Um, there was a bunch of names I was interested in, but everything is fucking trademarked, dude. So <laughs> I was like trying to come up with something that. I, well, I tell people sound... like I tell people, <laughs> I tell yeah, people I know, all the time. Know. Like, okay, look, I know I've it sounds like a porno game, but trust me, it's a great <laughs> game. Check it out. <laughs> I can't decide if I, I'm unhappy about that or happy about it just because when people hear the name, they're like, Rim World. First of all, they make these jokes about rim jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, like, they remember it more. So maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I, I, it's, I it is can't what tell. it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. I've, I've walked into that. So, and I don't uh, well, I want to throw out some credit to, your, to the people that you have uh, working with you and, and close to you on this game. Do you have any shout outs to those guys you want to give? Uh yeah, I mean I'm the only one who's been there from the beginning. So fuck um, all the other but, guys. No, so fuck everyone else. No, I mean totally. Uh, Alistair Lindsay who does the audio and the the, the or most of the sounds and uh, all the music. Uh, this guy's fucking awesome. Oh yeah, the music uh, is good. He sells the soundtrack too, but uh, yeah, like the soundtrack for this game really really makes it work. I play I play it without sound sometimes, and like it's just it's it's not the same. It's he did this. Uh, amazing uh, sort of space western thing that just perfectly nails the mixture of those two things which seems like you couldn't mix them at all but he makes it work so uh shout out to alistair Lindsay, um peter walsack our polish coding prodigy uh it really helps out with the uh the uh getting the the stuff implemented so uh yeah he's he's really good and uh let's see here who else Rapunzel, who did the uh, character art and uh a few others here. I, it's like we've had some people come and go. To, I tend to work with contractors. Sure. Um, so you know, shout out to everyone else. I, I, uh, I you can't bet. remember yeah. every, everyone like, right now. Yeah, we're gonna start so. playing the Oscar music now. It's time to get off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. No, hey man, thanks yep. for coming on, dude. It's been a pleasure. If you guys go check out RimWorld if you haven't already, and uh, stay tuned next week for some more uh, awesome podcasting adventures coming up. You guys will probably hear me and Bub next time you listen. So uh, take care, you guys. Thanks for listening. This concludes the Technobabble podcast. If you would like to leave feedback, please send us an email to thetechnobabblepodcast at gmail.com or feel free to reach out to us via Twitter at the Technobabble. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Yeah.